Before we get into today's podcast, uh, several times this episode, we said that or we refer to as Elliot Page as she slash her, and he now identifies as he slash him. So we just wanted to apologize and clear up that we were unaware and we now know who he is. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Dude Critics Podcast, a podcast in which the two of us sit down each week to watch movies from varying genres and then discuss our thoughts on them and possibly inspire you to watch the movies in which we recommend. We start every episode by explaining the plot of the movie. If you have already seen the movie or just wish to skip it, you can refer to the timestamp in the description. All right, what's okay. going on, guys? I, I want to ask you, like, first of all, did you enjoy the movie? Well, I think we need to we need to talk about what movie we watch first. So, oh yeah, my dumbass. <laughs> so this week we watched Inception, directed by Christopher Nolan, screenplay by Christopher Nolan. It came out in two thousand and ten. Came out in two thousand and ten. Came out in two thousand and ten, and I just want to say, before I say anything else, I really enjoyed the dialogue in this movie. I'm a big sucker for. Um, really fast-paced dialogue, and this movie had that, and I really enjoyed it. Also, I forgot Christopher Nolan directed it. Just everybody listening, I, I Jack's seen this movie. I haven't seen it. Um, after watching the movie, I looked up who directed it, and seeing that Christopher Nolan directed it completely makes sense because he made uh, Interstellar, and then. Um, that movie that came out this year, the time travel movie Tenet. And so I was like, yeah, that makes sense that he made this movie. He's really big into like messing with your mind. Yeah. He's really big into spectacle, but not, not, um, uh, Michael Bay type spectacle. It's more, um, not psychological, but, uh, I don't know the word, you know, what word am I thinking of? It's a mental? Uh, mental aspect. Yeah. That makes more sense. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoy this movie. This is my first time watching it. And, uh, before each episode, we watch the movie. So this is our raw reaction to it. Um, it's fresh, or, fresh yeah, on the mind. Fresh. No, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed, I, I guess I'll get into that, that later. Um, I really enjoyed the rules. I, I guess we'll deep dive into that later, but I enjoyed the rules that kind of, it made this really, uh, really fantastical idea. It kind of shrunk it down a little bit to make it where it was easier to understand. I mean, going off of what you said about the dialogue, I enjoy the dialogue in the sense that you see a lot in The Mandalorian where it's very much like, we have to kill this beast with this stick. And they're like, okay, sounds good. And then they go kill the beast with a stick. Where it's like, well, you may have an army, you may have guns, you've got all this other stuff. Why are we killing it with a stick? Where in this movie, it's like, we have to kill this beast with a stick. It's like, well, we could do it this way. We could do it this way. It's not just like plot advancement, if that makes sense. Instead of just agreeing so that the plot can move on, a deep dive into the different possibilities. And I think that was a great way of not... Taking the easy way out. Yeah, no, it's very... The rules of the universe in which this movie exists in, you can tell Nolan really thought them out. 
and um, uh, lassoed them in per se to uh, make it to where like he didn't he didn't create something just to keep the plot going forward. Um, everything had a meaning to the plot, and nothing cheated to keep the plot going forward. Everything made sense within the boundaries of the movie itself. Yeah, there's a reason. I enjoy the reason for everything. Not just like, it's this way because it's this way. Accept it. There is explanations as to why it is this way. All right, so I think we should start off our review of the movie with the uh, IMDb synopsis. Dom Cobb is a skilled thief, the absolute best in the dangerous art of extraction, stealing valuable secrets from deep within the subconscious during the dream state when the mind is at its most vulnerable. Cobb's rare ability has made him a coveted player in this treacherous new world of corporate espionage, but it has also made him an international fugitive and cost him everything he has ever loved. Now Cobb is being offered a chance at redemption. One last job could give him his life back, but only if he can accomplish the, the impossible. Inception. Instead of the perfect heist, Cobb and his team of specialists have to pull off the reverse. Their task is not to steal an idea, but to plant one. If they succeed, it could be the perfect crime, but no amount of careful planning or expertise can prepare the team for the dangerous enemy that seems to predict their every move, an enemy that only Cobb could have seen coming. It is rated as the 90, 91st most popular movie on IMDb, and out of 10 stars, it is given an 8.8. .8. Wow. We performed well. I think it did. Um, the meta score is 74. Let's see what the uh, what the Rotten Tomatoes score is. That's what the audience rated it. The Rotten Tomatoes score is a 87%. So it's a fresh tomato. The audience score is a 91%. So overall, critics and the audience agreed this is a pretty dang good movie, I would say. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I, I, I want to get into your notes because I've seen it. I want to know what you took away from this movie. Okay, so so I just want I want to clarify. Uh, we're both twenty years old. Uh, last semester, I was a freshman in college, and I took a film lecture class. And the first thing we learned was what the first shot and last shots of the movie were. So I immediately wrote down what the first shot of this movie was, and I wrote down opening shot: waves crashing, Leo wakes up on a beach because I didn't know what his name was at the time. We learned to know that his name is Dom Cobb, which is kind of funny. But <laughs> Dom wakes up on a beach, and that's the opening shot. And this might be getting ahead of myself, but I think from that one, <laughs> from that one semester film lecture class, uh, I, I want to make the assumption that Nolan was saying waves are crashing much like waves are always crashing much like time is never ending which I know it's dreams, but that's kind of the uh, connection I made that uh, I guess the time you play with in the dreams is never ending, kind of like waves crashing on a beach. That was what I got from the first shot. I think it makes more sense once you get into the last shot and where it takes place. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the second thing I wrote down was top, question mark, because... Even though I haven't seen the movie, I, um, I've seen, I've obviously seen the top, like that's pretty iconic. Um, 
and now I know what that means. Um, basically, one of the rules you learn in the movie is that when you're, what do we want to call them, dream jumpers? They never really have a specific title. They're extractors. Okay, they're extractors. So one of the rules in the movie is that extractors have a, uh, what's it called? What do they call them? Like a uh, little knickknack that they can use to prove to themselves they're not in a dream anymore. They're actually in reality. So Dom's character, played by uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, is a top. And that gains greater meaning later in the movie. But basically, if he spins it and it keeps spinning, the rules of the movie say that he's still in the dream. If it, he spins it and it stops spinning like a normal top, he is in reality. You want me to keep going with my notes? Okay, so I just kind of wrote down stuff I saw. So the next thing says relation with Maul, and then you learn that that's his ex-wife. They have kids. Um, and then I wrote... Uh, I kept writing down the rules of the movie so that I could understand it. And so I wrote down, dying in a dream wakes you up. Because I thought, for some reason, I thought before watching the movie, dying in the dream makes you die in real life. Um, and then we get a name drop of the movie itself, which you love to see. Um, <laughs> but uh, an inception is a planning idea in someone's mind through dreams. And then they use the, uh, the say elephant. Um, philosophy i guess it's a philosophy where like if you say elephant that makes uh or don't say elephant is the philosophy and by me saying don't say elephant you immediately think of an elephant and so how did they use that it was like um so basically inception is planting an idea in someone else's head and so uh, Arthur, which is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he says you can't plant an idea in somebody else's head. Think about elephants. Or don't think about elephants. And now the guy says, well, now I'm thinking about elephants. He goes, exactly. But I planted that idea in your brain. And you know that. It's not your idea, even though you're thinking about it now. The brain always traces it back to the source of where it came from. So they're saying that Inception is impossible. But Cobb knows otherwise. So uh, Cobb keeps saying, or Dom, for anybody confused who hasn't seen the movie, Dom keeps saying that it is possible and he knows from experience, but we don't learn until much later um, what his experience is. And just for everyone listening, how we're going to do these is the first half of the episode, roughly, is going to be just kind of us diving in diving into general thoughts and ideas and rules of the movie and everything. And then the second half is going to be our spoiler review where we talk about stuff that would potentially ruin the movie for somebody who hasn't seen it. Um, so real quick, I just want to get into what do you think? Um, do you think this will be a technology that will be available in the near future? Cause I wrote that down. I said impact on future ethics. Because I thought it was really interesting how they talked about ethics. Um, and I just want to know what you think about the future and how this, how the ethics work in this universe. I mean, if this becomes technology that is available to everyone, then yeah, that's, that, that'll be a 
big, big problem because they said um, they use this technology for soldiers who are uh, preparing to go into war because they get to go in and kill, stab, and mutilate people, and it prepares them for the real thing so they don't lock up and freak out in action. So you you like release this to the general public. I think people are as a whole humans are sick, sick people, and they'll do some terrible things. And um, you remember that movie we watched where the guy was stuck in a time loop? What was that? It was like Groundhog Day. I know what you're talking about, but it had. Palm Springs. Yeah, I think that's it. Great movie. Palm Springs. In that movie, uh, the main character says that even though everyone else won't remember what you did, you still remember what you did. That becomes a big, big player in this movie. Yeah, because you travel into this dream universe, and let's say you commit some terrible crime. Because when you have everything everything becomes nothing and then you are felt just wanting more and wanting more and eventually you're doing some pretty terrible things just to to but no i i agree with what you're saying um i also wrote down in my notes about 30 minutes in i said this is a trippy heist movie i i I didn't realize it was a heist movie but it uh, it, (laughs) when he was going around getting um the chemist i forgot his name and he got Eames, who was the uh, he was a, what, like a bank robber or something. He was he was an extractor, like a master extractor or something. Um, yeah. Uh, it reminded me of the uh, the heist episode in Rick and Morty. The you son of a bitch, I'm in. Like I wrote <laughs> that down in my notes. <laughs> Not a time heist, it's a mind heist. It's a mind heist, yeah. But I mean, that's what it is. It's a mind. It's heist. a heist movie. Like I didn't realize it was a heist movie. It's just a really trippy heist movie. I thought so, when I first like saw the previews, I thought it was like, do- like Doctor Strange. Yeah, no, I like, think I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah, I wrote that down too. I said that I think that Doctor Strange drew a lot of um, graphical um, inspiration from the dream sequences in this movie. Yeah, I mean, both scenes where the buildings are folding. Yeah, yeah that's over. pretty much exactly like, the same. Like that is an identical replica. Yeah, I mean it's an incredible shot, but that is that's drawn straight from this movie. So, um, the uh, the second or the second big thing, the second thing we learned in uh, film lecture was um, paying attention to the conflict, like any story you tell, whether it's a book, movie, play, something like that. There's always a conflict that drives the story. So the conflict in this movie is uh, Cobb wants to get back to his kids. And it's not really clear as to why he's on the run. Um, but he's on the run from the, the, either the U.S. government or U.S. police. And uh, he's trying to get back to his kids. And so he's presented with the opportunity to have one last job. Um, one last job and... The guy he's working for, Saito, or it's Saito, yeah. Um, 
is going to give him yeah, the opportunity. Yeah, he goes by like Sado. Sado. And yeah. Sado. Like it's different names throughout the movie. Depending, I think I think Ames, uh, played by Tom Hardy, I think he pronounced, he pronounces it Sido. Yeah. The British pronunciation. But like, like Cobb said uh, Saido. Saido, yeah. And then people said Sado, Saido, Saido. Yeah. It was one of those things where it's like depends on how you pronounce it. But uh, it's a it's a one last job storyline. It's a it's a classic storyline, or it's a classic um, trope. It's a classic movie trope. But uh, Nolan created a very imaginative. Um, not that sounds like I'm I'm being condescending to Christopher Nolan, which I'm not. I admire the man. He's a genius. <laughs> um, but he he created a very. Um, like I'm not being condescending. I feel like whatever I say is sounding condescending. He created a new no. new play of the one last job uh movie trope. I mean, it's taking a very simple idea yeah. and adding something to make it watchable yeah. and very yeah. entertaining. And so then we learn that uh extractors need an architect to build the dreamscape that we're in. And I thought that was really um, fascinating. Um, that not a, like she was an actual or uh, Ariadne Elliot or, Page. Elliot Page, yeah. And she's just a normal architect. Like that's the thing. She's she was recruited. Like she's not like some special dream architect. She's just a normal architect who understands how buildings work, how things work, because. In the dream verse, it has to be, it has to seem as normal as possible, or else the dreamer will realize that they're in a dream. The dreamer who they're extracting, or in this case, implanting um, information inside of, will realize that they're dreaming. And that's, you learn that that's not what you want to happen. That's basically a worst case scenario. Um, Yeah. But I thought, uh, I caught this. I don't know if you did. They used Ariadne as um, an outlet for exposition to explain how the rules of the universe work. Yeah, yeah. They uh, when he first recruits her uh, to perform this inception, and Fisher, who is a billionaire or millionaire, it doesn't really matter. He's rich, uh, very rich. You, he uses her, or Nolan uses. Um, Cobb explaining to Ariadne how um, extracting works or how dream diving works. And Ariadne kind of takes the place of the audience as she's learning from fresh eyes how this all works. And so Cobb explained to Ariadne is Cobb explaining to the audience how the rules of the movie are going to work. Um, and so then I wrote down later, later on, they, they figure out a time that they can do the inception on Fisher. And you find out that he has subconscious training. So this is a pretty common place or dream diving extracting is a pretty commonplace um, threat uh, in this world that inception takes place in. And so the rich and powerful uh, have the opportunity to have subconscious training 
to where their subconscious will actively fight back against anyone breaking into their dreams. And so he has, um, his subconscious is trained, and so he has men with guns who are um, actively trying to fight off um, the heist team that we're, we're following along in the movie. Yeah, it's explained as white blood cells fighting an infection. Yeah. Um, moving along, I said, uh, how did Maul not know it was a dream? Um, considering she had a top. And since this is a spoiler-free review of... Uh, or this, this is the spoiler-free half of the pod. Um, we'll talk about that later. Um, and then once they actually get into the dream, I thought it was fascinating how uh, <laughs> the first layer of the dream world was uh, a seatbelt ad, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Always wear your seatbelt. Always wear your seatbelt, bro. Uh, That's what I wrote down. I said, um, see, my notes kind of, they kind of skip quite ahead. Um, And then... Well, I mean, it is, I'm sure everybody understands, it's very hard to discuss a movie without giving away anything yeah yeah so in the movie which there will be a timestamp. you can skip the spoiler free if you just don't care or if you've seen it before and you just want to know this is our thoughts on it. this is our uh fifth grade book talk version where we're just kind of yeah. going through the 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 top layer of the movie we just watched and then um, people who are not listening or people who have never seen this and are listening right now are going what the hell are they talking about i kind of want to know yeah, our, so basically just our goal is, is we want we we both love movies, and so we want to encourage um, people to go and watch. Um, like, we're hoping that each week we're gonna we're gonna pick different genres that um, neither of us seem that interested in because we're we're kind of using this as a uh, as an outlet to experiment ourselves to um, like um, what's the word get ourselves more. Um, cultured in different sorts of movies that we normally wouldn't watch. And we hope that by us trying to experiment with movies, we both wouldn't normally watch that. Um, we'll encourage, we'll encourage you guys to get into movies and watch movies, um, watch movies. You normally wouldn't think you would enjoy. And we just want to promote the, um, uh, be of film watching yeah especially i mean especially if you're somebody who is passionate about creating films the number one step is to understand how they work and understand the deeper meaning behind these films so then uh, i wrote what a climax because holy shit the climax isn't until about 15 minutes left in the movie and and everything culminates into one. And then the falling action is just a cliff that the van <laughs> drives off the bridge into. That's a reference we get <laughs> if you've seen the movie. Um, and I completely forgot that Michael Caine, legendary actor, is in this movie for a grand total of five minutes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> like, I saw Michael Caine. I was like, oh, shit. He's gonna be in this movie for a while because he's Michael Caine, and then he was in this movie for about five minutes of total screen. That's time. like that's like Ryan Reynolds putting Brad Pitt in Deadpool two for a total of five seconds. Exactly. 
<laughs> it's not an exaggeration. Like they were like, who can we pay millions of dollars to do minimal work? So the last thing that uh, I thought I'd talk about before we get into the spoiler review is um, the framing of the movie. So uh, the third thing we learned in film lecture was how is a movie structured? And so the structure of this movie is there's a beginning and then there's all the middle and then the ending is the beginning and then there's a second ending. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like brackets. Like if you're writing, if you're writing something down, it's kind of like there, there's parentheses and then brackets and then parentheses, but then a bracket after the last parentheses because the movie starts in one area and then uh, you, there's the there's the whole movie, which is it's called a framed narrative, and then it it goes back to the beginning, so you understand what you saw at the beginning, and then there's the ending. It's how I understood it. I might have been completely misreading that. I yeah, know. I mean, I I get that. Because he the the whole, the opening shot is the waves and him waking up on the beach, and then. There's the first uh, high scene with, with Sato. And then at the ending, he wakes back up on the beach and he sees the children. And then he goes and talks to Sato again. And then there's the actual ending. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Okay, welcome to the spoilers section of the podcast. And as you already know, spoilers lie ahead. Now, what I want to get into is... First off, one thing I noticed towards, you know, the, towards the beginning, not like the very beginning, but when they started doing the heist, Sato was trapped in limbo. You know, he was down there for God knows how long. He became an old man. Sato was trapped down there when he could have easily escaped from there, but he didn't know how to escape because Cobb never told him. Because he was afraid that the same thing would would happen to Sato that happened to Maul. Yeah. Like, no one else knew that there was an escape. They all just thought you eventually woke up. Cobb was the only one. Because I didn't notice that the first time I watched it. I was like, why was Sato down there so long? Why didn't he just kill himself as soon as he realized he was down there? You know? He wasn't, and, he wasn't as experienced. He he didn't know. Cobb never explained that like there's a way out because he was so scared that the same exact thing would happen to Sato that he did to yeah. Maul. Well, it's like the uh, it's the rule they talked about that um, the dreamer doesn't need to know the architecture or um, they can start influencing the dream, basically. Yeah. And I don't know if this was my brain just seeing things or making up things, but I noticed Cobb had the same signature gun. It was the same gun that he used from the very beginning of the movie. Every single time Cobb had a gun, it was his gun. There was one scene at the beginning when he took the gun, uh, he took the gun away from Arthur. And that wasn't his, but Ka or Sato looked down at the ending scene when they're sitting at the table. He looked down at the gun, and then that's when he looked up at 
Cobb and realized who he was. And I was like, that's kind of crazy. Because it was it was Cobb's gun. Yeah. So and that same building was so the maybe, same building that since this was your, your second time, your second watch through, uh maybe I was a little confused. What were they trying to extract from Sato in the beginning? In the first scene? I don't I think it was one of those things that it wasn't it wasn't crucial important. to the story. Gotcha. It was just set up that Who they were working for someone else. Yeah. To extract something from his mind. Um, uh, whatever it may be. Yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Um and then they just kind of completely effed over uh their first architect. Uh <laughs> he's in the well, movie I mean, for a good 15 minutes. He told on him. He's he's a little wuss. Like, if I understood that correctly, he went to Sato and asked, like, for him to live or something. He said he came to me and begged for his life. Like, what is, what is, what do you mean? Why did he go to Sato in the first place? Why not just disappear? I don't know if Sato found him or if he was looking for money, but screw him he was weird i got bad vibes like from the beginning he was making weird faces yeah um i thought the reveal um so at the beginning we saw maul and i I was like how did she get into this shared dream because i was like wait i was like wait they're all in the same room where where is maul coming from and then i thought the reveal of her being dead and um, the use of Cobb's subconscious was um, pretty surprising. I thought that was... I think the the most surprising part of this movie was how dark, it, like, how dark those scenes were. Because I don't know about you, but when the train crashed through um, traffic and Cobb was stuck just like in a state of shock because he knew what it was. Yeah. Like that gave me, that gave me like vibes. Of like, like I was, I don't know. I can't explain how it made me feel, but I was like sitting there in the same shock that Cobb was in. Cause it was oh, so sudden. Do we know, what, know what it meant? We're kind of jumping back and forth, but what does the train symbolize to Cobb? Because Everything else that happens, it kind of symbolizes something about him and Maul. But I, I didn't, maybe I missed it completely, but was there a connection with the train? That's how they died. In limbo. What are you talking about? So, Cobb and Maul had to kill themselves oh, to escape limbo. They laid on the train tracks. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. Maul had convinced herself. So you, that didn't that pay that off until later real. why there's a train. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like I had yeah. no clue when that, I first yeah. watched it. So did you not get that like, until the, the second train? watching? Yeah. Or I got it like at the end of the first one. Like I, I okay. saw them on the train we tracks. Because we see the glimpse of Cobb and Maul laying on the train track. Or not them laying on the train tracks, but we see the train and we see the... The uh, the rail, 
Yeah. But we know that we, that pays off later in the movie. Um, I mean, the, the, the moment of shock, like, we're going to jump around the movie, but, I mean, you know what? This is our first, like, this is just, like, we just watched this movie. We're not going to be... Like we're gonna jump around. That's just how we're. Nothing's do. planned out. Uh, we're literally just this speaking. Our, yeah, this is our actual conversation. Our fresh reaction to the movie. What what absolutely blew my mind was, I, they, I don't know if you noticed, but they clearly threw us off because at the beginning we see Sado and he's old and you know he's he's shriveled up, but we don't know it's Sado. You know yeah. he looks like a prune. Yeah. So. When they're showing um, Cobb and Maul laying down on the train tracks, giving the train speech about how, you know, they're going to be together forever. It doesn't matter if the train takes us to the real world. If it kills us, we'll still be together. And they laid down and they were young. It didn't show them as old people until yeah, later. I was about to say that. So... When did they grow old, or were they were they in several layers deep? That they were in limbo together. They were stuck in limbo. Oh, okay. That's what Cobb was explaining. He said they were trying to, or Cobb wanted to explore how deep you could actually go. Because as far as we know, Cobb is the only one who has ever been to limbo. Yeah, and he was like, we, we were trying to find out how deep we could go but once he got to limbo he didn't know that there was no bay there was no way back out of limbo you know because the second layer deep is like uh what do they say it was like a it's like six months so like 10 out it's 10 hours in the real world and then one layer deep is a week and then two layers deep is six months and then three layers deep it's is 10, ten years. years. Yeah. And then once you enter limbo, you don't know how long it is. Yeah. So like they were jumping down and kept going down until they got to limbo. And they were like, well, you know, the timer will run out sooner or later and we'll wake up and it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But then it didn't. And they were growing old and they're, bodies were getting weak and frail and in order to cope maul had convinced herself that limbo was the real world well see i thought it was because Cobb broke into her so they say that they said in the movie one of the rules was um stuff that you lock away um manifests itself as a vault inside your mind and that's what the extractors are going to break out of so i thought by him spinning the top in the vault she had created, it convinced her because he they said that he he knew inception worked because he did it on Maul. And so I thought by him spinning the top in the vault that manifested of her deepest thoughts that that he convinced her that limbo is real. That's what I took from it. That might that might be. I always took it as he went in and broke in and put the idea in her head that the only way out was to kill yourself. I don't know why 
We'll see that like both of those go together because if he if he planted the idea that limbo was reality because the top which I guess the if the rules the rules say that if the top keeps spinning that you're in the dream. Because yeah. I took it as Maul put her top away because she was like, I don't care. I don't want to know. Oh, if I yeah. don't have my top and I can convince myself that this is real. So what's the so, what's the significance of him spinning the top inside of the inside of the vault? I think it was to convince her that that world wasn't real, and they uh, had to get back to the real world by killing themselves. But then when they were back in the real world, Ma was like, "This world still isn't real. It doesn't feel real." Because you got to think she spent, years, I mean, decades yeah. in limbo with her children that they thought that she had to convince herself were real. And then, you know, I'm sure it doesn't show it, but I'm sure they saw them grow up and grow old because they can create anything. Yeah. And it was their perfect, it was their perfect world that created. So I'm sure she went back and was like, those aren't my kids. I saw my kids. Those are just projections of my self-conscious. We need to be free. You remember what you taught me that the only way out is death. And that's how, we free ourselves. Yeah. And that's what I thought it was, was him convincing her that this world isn't real, you know, cause he was ready to go home. He knew he kept his sanity and she just couldn't. So he was, I guess you, he was like, Sato. was it, what, what did they call when, uh, was it the jump? Is that what they called? The kick. The kick, yeah. So maybe that's jumping too far ahead. Do you have anything else to talk about in the middle right now? No, I mean we can if we jump ahead, we'll jump back. It it doesn't matter. If they've made it this far, they've seen the movie and they know. Um what was Oh, so uh so the, the I said what a climax. So I thought it was brilliant that the climax was literally about 15 minutes before the movie ended. Yeah. And uh it 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 forces Cobb to face his darkest demons um to reconcile with himself and his guilt because the driving force of the entire movie is Cobb's guilt over causing Ma to kill herself. And that in turn is his driving force in taking the one final job trope so that he can go and be with his children. I mean, honestly, it was kind of a tearjerker when he was describing Maul as a shell of her old self. Yeah. He said, I tried as hard as I could, but I couldn't make you perfect. Like, you're just the things that I remember about you, but there was so much more that I couldn't build. And, and I was like, man, that is so, that's so, like, I was, I was like, I was like, you know, getting a little, getting a little wet eyed. Like, I was like, man, that's so, like, sad. But, um, and dark. Yeah, um, 
if I uh, if I were asked what the themes of this movie would be, I would say my take on the movie is I would say the the main themes were um, loss, which goes with grief, and then guilt. Those would be the themes that I would associate with this movie the most, and how far humans will go to not face their grief and guilt. That yeah, those, I mean, those would be my major themes of this movie, this film. Going back to what you said um, in the non-spoiler section, you said, "Do you think if this?" Technology, you know, in this universe, I, I address it being available to the general public. And that stemmed from what you asked. I think that just like Maul, everything would just become distorted and the repercussions of the dream world would start to settle in to the real world. You know, not it, only it would just be like a, yourself. Uh, um... Oh God! What's that? What's that book and movie that came out several years ago? And it was about it was a it was about virtual reality. And virtual reality like consumed humans to where they didn't. That was more important than reality. Do you know what I'm talking? I don't know. About? It just it makes me think of an episode of Black Mirror that I watched. What was that movie? Which, I mean, basically, it's the idea that. You go in and you know, you live your life and then you come out like you like let's say I have a crush on a girl and so I can't be with her or I'm too nervous to be with her. I travel into the dream world to be with her and like I've I'm I'm killing it. You know, I'm rich in the dream world. I got everything I ever wanted, but I leave the dream world and I see her. I see her like as you know, the girl that I'm with, you know, my, my significant other, I think I know all this stuff about her. And then eventually you start mix matching dreams and reality until you don't want to be in the real world anymore. Yeah, no, like, I, I, I wouldn't I figured out. I figured out what that movie was. It was, it was ready player one. Oh yeah. It was based on a book. I think the book was better personally. But basically the the fake reality takes credence over what actually exists. And I think that's that's a growing theme and and um I mean this movie came out in 2010, but uh as technology persists it it's I think I think it's a growing theme of how far humans will go to not confront their grief and not confront their guilt and um use anything possible to distract themselves from reality to a point to a point where to a point where you lose your humanity in a way like in in Inception, when they go and meet their chemist, he 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 shows them that there are um, quite a few elderly people, or at least I thought they were elderly, um, that come to him every day 
for him to sedate them so that they can dream because they've become so invested in their dream realities that that's become their actual reality. Yeah. And I mean, you see this happening as well. You see this happening today in real life. Look at dude, sit down and go play GTA 5, be rich as fuck and have this money, have all these girls, all this power. Yeah, that's like, just it's like you sit there. Level. Like and that's the beginning. I mean, I can't even imagine if I could feel, taste, t- you know, uh hear, smell I can't imagine if I had all of my senses in a world where everything could be exactly how I wanted it to be. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't want to leave. I would never want to go out into the real world. I would want to just dream all the time. No, I, I think that, I think that's what Nolan was trying to say with this movie is that there's no limit to how far humans will go to um, resurrect people they've lost and how far people go to escape grief and um, escape um, consequences or guilt in this case. I think that's, I think that's the lesson that uh, Nolan wants us to take from uh, Inception. Yeah. I, I get that. Which something I was confused about was um, I was like, so there's this the first time I watched it, I was like, so there's this giant dream world that just people live in. Where are all the other people who are dreaming and why are they not affecting that dream? And I realized it was because like You go into a specific person's dream. Yeah, yeah. They're in control. They're subconscious, yeah, exactly. Like, Limbo is the same thing with Limbo. I was like, why is there not just a ton of wreckage of people who have, like, been trapped in Limbo or something? Because it's the the remnants of your, like, the dreamer that's been there before. Yeah. Like, Sato was in Cobb's Limbo. I think I'm pretty lucky because... I I don't dream a lot to be honest. Like not to be dark or anything, but like I don't have oh. a lot of vivid dreams that I remember when I wake up. Do you is lucid dreaming where you can control what happens? Yes. Yeah, I'm a lucid dreamer. Well, I can yes. I can stop like in the middle of my dream and like feel things and be like this is a dream. Like I can feel myself laying in my bed and understand so i don't have nightmares because i can just be like oh i'm in control see i have the problem is do what if you break it's like if you break concentration for even a second on what's going on and you realize like too much that you're in a dream you wake up Mm -hmm. like i don't know how to explain it it's really odd, and I yeah. don't like vividly remember my See, dreams. And I, I don't have, dream every night. I have dreams, but sometimes I remember them uh, like they're vivid enough to remember. But they they explain it in, in Inception that 
normally you don't remember the beginning of a dream and that's how that's how you realize you're dreaming is you don't remember yeah you just you dropped but, in but i i haven't had a vivid dream in quite a minute that like affected me um like i i've had a couple bad like i wouldn't say i've had a nightmare but i've had had some bad dreams where i've woken up recently and i've been like oh okay i was dreaming like i haven't had a nightmare in a long time where i've like woke up sweating but uh, i mean i'll say when i do have vivid dreams that you know they they i mean you you're so happy in the dream you wake up realize it's a dream and then you're just disappointed but the thing is i've had like dreams where i'm friends with like famous people or something yeah and i'm like hanging out with them and i'll wake up and for 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 you know a few seconds i like truly believe that i'm yeah, friends I've, with yeah. that person you See, know what i'm I mean? not i haven't had dreams like that but i've had dreams where um i've let people i've loved down like i've had dreams where um like I've cheated on my girlfriend and I wake up and I feel terrible about it. And then like for a, yeah. like for a second after I wake up, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. But then you realize it was a dream and you're like, I'm like, Oh, thank God. I didn't actually do that. I can't believe that I thought I would do that. It's the same concept as losing someone in a dream. You wake yeah. up, you're like, I need to see that person. Yeah. I've had dream. Yeah. I've had dreams where people like my parents have died or something like that. And I wake up, I'm like, Oh my God. But then I, realize that it was just a dream yeah i mean and that just kind of if anything i feel like that proves that inception if there was this actual dream verse that you could go into inception is possible because i fool myself uh, to get back to um this is this is kind of so the last shot of the movie is he spends the so the whole the whole movie is when he's in his dream, he can't see his he can't see James and Philippa's faces. And then at the very end of the movie, he sees their faces, but then he spins the top and the top doesn't fall over. So it before started to top you think you think it did? Do you notice that I think when every single time I think he cut it off right then so that you don't know if he's still in limbo or if he woke up. Well, that's the thing. Why did like I understand that time works differently, but Cobb and Sato are in the same limbo. Correct. And Cobb is like normal he didn't age he didn't like it, it implies that sato was there for decades and Cobb was there for like 30 minutes yeah. and so it, that never made sense to me so in a way it, it kind of would make sense that you know his brain just snapped it gave up and it retreated inside itself and He's just in his perfect reality now. The reality 
where he got Sado, they went back, and he gets to see his kids now. It's it's implied that uh, the grandpa played by Michael Caine is Maul's dad, right? Even though I don't, Maul's accent isn't British. I don't know what her accent is supposed to be. I didn't know if it was because the thing is, well, he goes. Like they go to be... is it? They go to Paris to get Ariadne. Yeah. So, okay, maybe her mom is French, but I think. Like, why is <laughs> he's from the states? It, I think I Michael Caine is her dad. Is is Maul's dad? Because he said, like, I don't know if he's from the states and Michael Caine's British. I don't know why that'd be his dad. Because it would yeah. make sense for me that Maul is her mom is French, and that's why she has kind of a. It wasn't British. It was a. I'm pretty sure it's a French accent. Would Would you agree with that? Yeah, it, it was kind of it was it was a high. I th- it wasn't straight French, but it it had French undertones in it. And I think that her dad still lived in Paris. It was Paris, right? Am I going crazy? I mean, I believe I wouldn't. To I would I would keep, assume like, in on I it. would assume that Grandpa lived in Paris and he taught he taught architecture. I'm assuming. And that's how he hooked Cobb up with Ar- Ariadne. But I, I want, I want, I want to believe that Cobb kicked and he woke up. But I don't understand why Grandpa is in the States when he was in Paris earlier in the movie and it seemed like he had a job there. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out. I'm like looking right now, trying to figure out. Yeah. Okay. He's Maul's father. Okay. So is grandma that, that James and Philip are living with. Is that, is that Cobb's mom? I'm guessing. Cause she's not with, and she was, uh, his name's Stephen miles. Okay. He's not with Miles, or she's not with Miles. So, okay, I could imagine. So, that, I, that, I don't know because she does not like Cobb. She doesn't like him, no. But it doesn't make sense to me why. In in the in the rules of this movie, he left Nolan left it up to interpretation of if the top falls or if it keeps spinning. And I think us as viewers, as the audience, are supposed to interpret it as we see fit. If I feel like if, if you're an optimistic person, you believe the top fell after the end yeah. ended. And I feel like if I you're think... a pessimistic person, you believe the top kept spinning after after It the depends on whether or not you're a glass half full or exactly. glass half empty. I think Maybe that's that might be too elementary for it. That might be too simple, but it might it might be as simple as he left it up to the to the audience to decide. But it cut for a oh, reason. Oh yeah, he did. Christopher Nolan is like, is 
love or hate Interstellar, he's he's proven that he is a master at manipulating. He sets. He's proven that he he knows how to set boundaries and rules of how the world in which his movies operate. And yeah, I mean, and looking at Interstellar, just like even that is glass half full, glass half em- empty. At the end, whether it's like, well, did he? You know, save mankind, and he's happy that he gets to live in peace. Yeah. And he did, which you know, maybe didn't let his daughter. Maybe that's not a good assumption because Interstellar. I guess it kind of has hard rules. There's a little bit of soft rules in. There's Interstellar's kind of a mix of soft and hard rules, because we don't know about that. Um, I haven't seen that movie in so long. We don't know about that reality in which I forgot his I forgot the main character's name. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, it's, it's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> yeah. We don't like it the hard rules don't say anything about that reality in which Matthew McConaughey goes, unless I'm completely wrong. Um, and the I mean, soft it just shows every moment. The soft rules of the throughout. movie. But see, it, it makes sense in the boundaries he's created for his film. And so, like, we as an audience yeah. don't go, what? Which, I mean, honestly, you go, you go, what? But, uh, but it's in we like as an audience like don't a... go, we're not like, at the end of the movie, we're not like, that doesn't make any sense. We're like, oh, that makes sense in the logic of the movie that he set forth for us. And so. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with this. Where did I start this 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 line of conversation? What was that? The rules of his. Uh, well, yeah. So universe. I believe that Nolan, even in his not so mental movies like Dunkirk and um, the Dark Knight trilogy, um, he he. Oh, you left it up. It was the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. We're talking about. He did that. Like, there's. I mean, obviously, it's his artistic. It's his artistic expression. So he. I mean, he was the screenwriter and the director. So very obviously, he chose for that's how he wanted it to end. And I, I believe. He left it up for interpretation. He didn't want there to be a hard ending. Of this is what happens, like a lot of movies end. He wanted it to be like. He wanted the person to think who saw the movie and decide for themselves how the movie ended. I mean, look at look at The Dark Knight Rises at the end when Bruce Banner or not Bruce Banner, Bruce Wayne is sitting at the table with Catwoman living a happy life, yeah. which is his vision after everyone believes that Bruce Wayne, Batman is dead and Alfred raises a glass and walks out. Was Bruce really there? Was he still alive? Or was that Alfred seeing what he always wanted to see for Bruce in order to kind of give him some closure? Yeah, I mean, thinking about it, that's kind of like how it is for Interstellar, too. It leaves the door open at the end of that movie. Um, I don't remember. I need to go back and rewatch Dunkirk. We might add that. We might add that to the list, but... um, 
I don't remember how Dunkirk ended, but that might be that might be a um, part of his. Uh, each director has something that is kind of a, a calling card, and that might be his calling card is leaving the end of his movies open to interpretation. And I need to go and we might need to go and watch all of his movies to decide that for sure. But that might be one of his, um, iconic, um, pieces that he uses in each of his movies. I mean, if not that it's at least just the gripping element that his movies have where you just, whether or not you like them, like you could watch Interstellar, you could watch Inception, and you could completely hate the movies. You'd be like, this is so boring. You know, I, I don't like the plot. But at the same time, you want to he he grips you at the beginning, like, where the hell is this going? What is happening? Yeah, they're all... Interstellar, it's like, why do books keep yeah, falling off the book? I wrote that, I wrote that down too. I said that. I need I, I we need to go and watch all of Christopher Nolan's movies I think and talk about them on the pod but um I've seen I've seen Dunkirk, I've seen Interstellar, I've seen the Dark Knight trilogy and I've seen this movie now and all of his movies have the same I don't think how to word this. They all have this enthralling environment where you get sucked in and they're all beautifully shot. I don't know if he uses the same cinematographer for every, every film, but the cinematography in this movie was brilliant. And I want to give a big round of applause for the cinematographer of inception because he was brilliant. And I feel like Christopher Nolan knows how to use camera movement and um, framing to pull the audience in. And in this movie, especially make them feel like they're a part of the action. And like, I've like in the scenes in the second layer where, uh, what was, was it? What was Joseph? Levitt Gordon's character named Arthur Arthur. Okay. Where he was getting, um, D gravity. I don't know what the word for that is. Um, but he was adding grab or yeah, yeah. No, because running across. The yeah. Wall yeah. Like that was brilliant. Like, I don't, we need to go and look if, if this movie won any kind of award for, um, it's cinematography, but, uh, the way that it might have won an award for set, obviously, because I don't know if that was maybe it might not have been all camera, but there's a lot of camera work in this movie that that drew you in, and uh, sp I guess it's special effects, special effects and set, but it was more, even though it was this like in depth, I sound like I'm high right now, but even though it was this <laughs> in depth, um, kind of mind effing. Uh, film it felt like there were more um, physical effects kind of like old school Star Wars than it was green screens and 
F, um, v, VFX effects. Like, I don't know if I'm, I don't I mean, know if I'm whiffing on that completely, but it felt like, like the hotel scene, it felt like the, the set was, was rotating on itself. That didn't feel like special effects. Yeah. I thought this, I thought that was a rolling corridor. Yeah. Like that's it, what like I felt he, too. It moved it as they were shooting because just the way he moved, I mean, there's no way that's wiring. Like the, entire thing changes okay yeah yeah it, it's it just one the uh like it was moving i don't know if it was if, if it was awarded or nominated but inception got the academy award for best visual effects in 2011 and it also got the academy award for best cinematography so round of applause for wally feister who is the cinematographer for this movie and also uh, big round paul j franklin and chris corbold and andrew uh, okay, Andrew got effed because I don't know what, what his name is. But for the visual effects in this movie, <laughs> round, round of applause. It also got an Academy Award for sound editing. So this movie won a bunch of uh, Academy Awards. It did have some very good sound. Oh, yeah, the sound. Like... Uh, the the sound. It got an Academy Award for sound mixing. Oh, I just said that, didn't I? Yeah. My yeah. Bad, my bad. Oh. That's why. That's why I brought sound, it sound, sound mixing and sound <laughs> editing. So, yeah. And then Wally, our boy Wally Feister won a American Society of Cinematographers award. Yeah. So this this, I mean, critics love this movie, audiences love this movie. It was all around a great film. So, um, do we want to wrap up by giving our uh, our rating of the movie you want to do one through ten yeah we can do that i mean honestly do we want to do like each different thing or we just don't want to do the overall movie i think we need to do overall okay. all right because if i if i had to give this movie an overall rating you know bringing in like the stuff i didn't like and the stuff i did like which I just want to say, Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio is an incredible actor. He's he's brilliant, but I don't know what it is about this movie, but I felt a lot of the time like I was watching Jordan Belford. You know, in this movie, it was very like his mannerisms were a lot of the same, and I don't know if that's just his mannerisms. I don't spend a lot of time um, watching Leonardo DiCaprio's mannerisms. I feel like Leo, um, he, uh, I, I shouldn't have called him Leo. I feel like DiCaprio, uh, <laughs> good friend, Leo. I feel like DiCaprio, uh, I've seen him in uh, Django Unchained and this movie. And I mean, other movies, obviously, but I feel Titanic. like, yeah, Titanic catch me if you can. He's, he's brilliant. I mean, like, I sound stupid saying that because everybody already knows that, but um, I feel like every time I've seen him get to the point where he's kind of driven to the edge, he, all of his characters kind of blend together and that's not a bad thing. He plays a character driven to the edge beautifully. And 
I feel like he uses the same mannerisms for every character driven to the edge. And that makes the character more com- like he's a brilliant actor and he knows how to play that character perfectly. And I feel like that's why you kind of see him that way. Yeah. I mean, there's really not a whole lot that I don't like about this movie. I mean, I feel like like there was a lot of a lot of times where I felt like Cobb was very clear on the fact that Maul is not a real person, you know, or she is, but not anymore. She's dead every single every single time he sees you her her goodness, I'm having a stroke. But every time he sees her, she's just a projection of what he believes her to be. And at the end, when he's about to shoot her after she's going to kill Fisher, she's like, Cobb, uh, no, uh, Ariadne, Ariadne is like, Cobb, you have to shoot her. You know, she's not real. He's like, how do you know that? And when I watched that, I was like, dude, that's not what I was getting from Cobb. You know, she was always like a threat, but he knew that she wasn't real. If he just like had a hard time killing her, I'd understand well, see, that. I, you know, shooting his wife. I got from it that he'd already killed her once. He didn't want to kill her again because of his guilt. I would have taken that. I would have taken that away if, like I would have watched that and seen that if he hadn't given the line, how do you know that? It was, it was like he was explaining that, you know, I don't know that she's not real. What if she's still alive? And I don't know if that was just the, the dream messing with his head. But either way, like I said, there's not a whole lot I don't like about this movie, and that's not going to influence the rating you know, very much. I don't want to go too high, given it's, it's the first movie we watched. But at the same time, it's a great movie. You know, it's a movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. I'd probably, I'd probably give it like, like a. I don't want to go all the way up to nine, but I don't want to sit at eight. So I'm going to say an eight point five. Eight point five. Um, so like I said before, I'm a big sucker for dialogue and fast-paced dialogue, and um, I'm also a big sucker for um brilliant acting. And uh, I'm also not going to give it a nine. I would if this wasn't the first movie, but which that's a stupid. <sighs> I'm going to give it an 8.8 out of 10. And that might be because Ooh, that might be because this is my initial viewing. And this is, that's your second viewing. But um, after first watch, this is an 8.8 out of 10. And it, it, <sighs> I want to give it a nine so bad. And I don't know why I'm not giving it a nine, but I'm going to give it an 8.8 out of 10. I think the reason I didn't give it a nine is like, why did Fisher and Ariadne need a kick to get out of limbo? But Cobb and Sato and Maul didn't. They just had to kill themselves. It's kind of like, I thought the whole point was like being trapped, you were trapped there. And why was that not, uh, maybe I'm missing something, but why was that not the first thing that Cobb tried? 
he knew that leaving dreams, you had to kill yourself. I don't know if it was out of fear that he would go deeper or what, but like, I just, I was like, why did Ariadne and Fisher have to wait for the kick? But then Cobb was like, I'll stay here and I'll get Sato and we'll come back. Like, why'd you need the kick? I don't know. But uh, after calculating our ratings, our combined rating for Inception by Christopher Nolan is an 8.65 out of 10. Sound bad. Not, I mean, not bad. That's a good movie. This is a, I mean, this is, good. This is a great. Oh, it's great. No, this is a uh, uh, excellent movie. I would recommend it to anyone. Um, it take you actually have to pay attention. It's not a movie that you can just be on your phone the whole time. Which I don't know why you'd be on your phone while you're yeah. watching a movie. But <laughs> don't put it on in the background. No, this is a you movie know? you have like, to pay attention to, or you're going to miss crucial information. Some movies you can pick up in the middle and be like, okay, I get what's going on. But this isn't one of them. You pick this up in the middle, you're going to go, what the hell is going on? Why are they sleeping but going at the same time? And one more thing before we finish. I have to give huge props to Christopher Nolan for the cuts between the different levels which make us really understand how slow time is moving yeah. in the yeah. different levels like the fact that the van was maybe a foot above the water and it kept cutting back to showing how close it was to the water but just not quite there yet i think if they would have just had him drive off and then go into the water after they had done all their stuff, you wouldn't have really felt like you were there with them. Like you're, it gave it, it gave you a sense of urgency. Like, Oh my God, you have to hurry up. Look how fucking close that van is to the water. Yeah. Was, yeah. And that was brilliant. That sense of urgency, that sense of wanting, feeling like if they don't succeed, then you don't succeed. Yeah. Pretty. It's, it's, brilliant. yeah. So, um, uh, thank you guys for watching the first episode or listening to my bad first episode of, uh, dude critics. I'm Brooks. I'm Jack. And catch us next week. Uh, follow us on Spotify. Give us a like. Um, we're also on SoundCloud. Follow our Twitter and, uh, talk to you next week. See ya. What's the numbers, baby?